Hello and welcome to our very last MetaStation recap of the season. I'm Claire. I'm a 34-year-old writer in Portland, Oregon. I'm Erin. I am now also 34 years old and I am also currently in Portland, Oregon. Erin is in my living room right now and we are looking into the spaces. It's very exciting. Um, we watched it's a little the weird at first. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. used to doing this when I'm looking at you. We're used to doing this over <laughs> Skype, so it's a little disorienting. Um, but we got to watch the finale together, which was very exciting. And then we got to talk to Mike Beach yesterday, which was also <laughs> very exciting. And now we are here to share our thoughts with you on... The season finale of season three of The Hundred, Perverse Instantiation, part two. So because today's episode is the finale, we're going to kind of take this through again like we did last time and talk through character by character, both sort of where they land in the finale and how that closes out or doesn't close out their arc over the course of the season. So let's start with Raven. I was actually, I wanted a little more of Raven this episode than we got like she was there and and that that moment with the door you know and she created the door for clark and put the raven on it like that was like so fantastic yeah we cheered at the television that yeah, was like really, the most exciting part of the city of light yeah to yeah, me. yeah seriously like we both were like we we're sitting on the couch together we're like raven! <laughs> um it was exciting because one thing that has been so awesome all season to watch is getting to see raven be like one of the heroes of right. the season getting to see her mind be the thing that's going to help save the day you know like getting yeah. to see raven be really like absolutely key and central to the main plot and yeah. to taking down the big bad and all that stuff and the way that that has been sort of set up as the mode for her to overcome her physical disability has been really great if i had like one little I, you know, this is kind of like a nitpick because it's not that I don't think that like the City of Light stuff didn't work, but like I just wanted, I wanted more Raven. Like I wanted more Clark and Raven working together. And part of it is because like, as it was, I felt like we we saw Raven see Clark in the City of Light. Right. You know, we got that moment where like she was like, oh my God, Clark's in there. She's going to try to go up to the kill switch. We see Raven start to type. And then she's sort of gone, and the next thing we know, that that door appears. Right. And it felt sort of deus ex machina to me, where, mm -hmm. like, Raven became kind of a deus ex machina, because we didn't actually get to see, you know, like, it went from Allie through Jasper telling Raven, use the 2% chance that you're actually going to be able to get in there and do what you want to do, because I can see you. And then suddenly Raven had just done it. I wondered about know? that, too, because it, it felt like planting that, you know, there's a 2% chance I have heightened security, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Felt like I was excited to see Raven have to fight a little harder. And that may have existed, like those scenes may have happened and been scripted and shot, or they may not have because it may have been technically too difficult to do. You know, like what you and I were talking yeah. about, the sort of the City of Light sequence that we wanted, which was like Raven like reprogramming the world around yeah. Clark to yeah. like clear a path to the Citadel. Yeah. Which I can see how that would be like, like I, I'm aware that we're being nitpicky. You yeah, know? Because yeah, yeah. like I yeah. can see how that would have been like really difficult to pull off. It would have been a completely different finale. It'd be a completely different finale, yeah. You know, and like, so yeah. Yeah, so and so like, without telling somebody like what television show to make, yeah. it's like in my head that would have been like a really cool like Clark right. is the star of a video game that Raven is like inventing as she right, goes. Right, 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 like, but, you know. But again, that wasn't the show. My feeling about Raven is that everything 
And actually, and I think this could go for the finale and for the whole season, everything we've gotten of Raven has been incredibly satisfying. And my only nitpick is I wish there was more. Yeah. Because it's been so good. Because it's been so because good. They, because I do feel like, you know, again, aside from, from wanting more of her in the finale and her having a slightly more... High stakes like active arc, role. You know, like, I feel yeah. like 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 Raven was important, you know, because she made right. that portal. Like Clark could not have defeated Allie if Raven had not done that. So Raven was absolutely central to it. Right. What it felt like to me, because of the kind of like Deus Ex Machina thing, and even like the stuff earlier before she started programming, mm-hmm. like the story in this episode wasn't really about Raven. It was Jasper delivering exposition to Raven to Mm -hmm. tell us that like this was going to be hard because we skipped the part where it might have shown her like going head to head with Allie programming there wasn't really a story for Raven it was like Raven programmed and then Raven won you know so I guess the reason why it felt like not as completely satisfying as it could have been is because I didn't feel like Raven really had you know like like this concluded her season arc you know like yay Raven won yeah but it wasn't really like Raven had like a, a big story in this episode and again mm. like yeah. I realize we're being nitpicky they only had so much time right. Raven got like a fantastic story yeah. over the course of the season Nevermore was all about her like she's got tons right, of stuff right. leading up to this yeah so but, I understand that this is like the capper yeah but, but like it, but in a, in a perfect world where they could have had like a two hour season finale event yeah. and we could have had just a shit ton more like Raven versus Allie, like, code war. Yeah. Would have been, like, yeah, amazing. Yeah, Like, but, this is, like, the fic that I want to read. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Raven, like, like, Raven being faced with challenges and overcoming them. Yeah, yeah. I think part of the reason that it felt a little bit anticlimactic is because she's one of, I would say, of a handful of characters, and I can maybe only think of one or two, maybe Raven and maybe, like, Kane and Monty, where I feel like, nearly every point in their plot arc all season long has worked for me. Yes. Like Raven's whole story has felt grounded in her past. Mm -hmm. It has felt clear to who she is as a character. Mm -hmm. It has kept you in her point of view at all the right times. Mm -hmm. It has given Lindsay Morgan interesting new things to do Mm -hmm. in some really striking ways. And it has created big interesting questions about where she goes next. There's something really bittersweet about the last shot of Raven in this episode where, you know, Monty and Harper are hugging and Raven turns around and she looks at the bank of computers, you know, and mm-hmm. she's smiling and she's happy, but she's alone, you know, right. like, and, yeah. and she's sort of looking at these computers that she did this amazing thing with. You get the sense that she's sort of like soaking in her own like heroism, you know, like I did this thing, you know, which is fantastic. And that's so mm-hmm. satisfying for Raven on so many levels, because like Raven, like previous seasons, her stories have always tended to circle around some kind of romantic relationship. Like, I think that was appropriate right? because like this season was really about Raven learning to confront with and learn to love herself and appreciate herself and understand her own worth on its own terms, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think like, I think that like as a closing shot of Raven, like her and this technology that she is just like the master of, you know, like, like I think that was really appropriate, but there's also something a little sad about it because it's just like, it's just her and the computers, you know, there's like a moment of like bittersweetness for Mm -hmm. me. Which I think maybe that's that might be where Raven goes next is like how does she sort of learn to like rebuild other relationships now that she has kind of like relearned to love herself, 
Raven next season maybe although I'm sure like her tech genius will continue like maybe this is now an appropriate time for her to have a more relationship kind of based arc and one of the things that you and I were talking about after we watched the episode is the, is the character that we really want to see Raven team up with in season four because she lived and looks like she's sticking around is Amori which would be amazing which would be amazing because like okay so like I mean this is <laughs> this is sort of weird you guys because like normally when we do podcasts it's, you know, like Friday. So we like watch the episode Thursday night. Then like Friday evening, we watch it together again. And then we immediately record the podcast. But we usually haven't really talked to each other that much about the episode before we record. And now we've had like eight hours of conversations. Yeah. We haven't watched the episode in like four days. We've been talking about it. <laughs> right. Like all weekend. So it's like a little bit different. Because yeah. I have to sort of stop myself and be like, oh, wait, we didn't have a conversation on the podcast where everyone else yeah. can hear it. We so, just had it on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, okay. So like... When we were talking about with the cliffhanger, like what could season four possibly look like? And we sort of feel like this is like a scale of a problem, the, the nuclear plant meltdown across the globe that does not seem like it's logistically feasible for them to like jet around fixing nuclear reactors, right? Like right. they cannot, they're not going to like find a Concorde jet and fix it and like fly across the world. Probably the issue that they're going to have to solve is how do we identify the 4% of the world that is going to be habitable and get everyone who's still alive to that spot right. within the next six months. And so what that's going to require probably, like, they're going to need a computer to do the modeling right. to figure out where that 4% is. And who can do that, like, build that computer? It's Raven. Um, and then we were like, okay, so, like, they've got some stuff there. But they were like, well, earlier in season three, Amori you know, when she was talking to Murphy, she's like, oh yeah, we find tech. And she said, I have other buyers. So like Imori is the person who knows where to find tech. Mm -hmm. She knows who has it. Yeah. She knows who she's selling it to. She is the person who has the map in her head of this world of where right. these resources are and who has them and who understands it. So we're like, what if Raven and Amori yes. are like SAS squad, like <laughs> tech salvagers, yes. you know, like on oh the God. road, like, you know, Maury's going out and, like, finding things. And, like, that would just be a pairing that would be so much fun. That both makes a ton of sense on a plot level and would be just fantastically satisfying and delightful to watch. And yes. frees up Murphy for the side plot that I want him to have, which is for him to go work in medical with Abby and just <laughs> sass Jackson all day. <laughs> but, I mean, I think because Murphy is still in a relationship with Maury, like, that would also open up a really great triangle, not like necessarily a love triangle, but, mm -hmm. but having Murphy kind of like in that mix because he is in a relationship with Amori because Murphy is the one who disabled Raven and mm -hmm. they haven't really confronted that yeah. since like Murphy took off in yeah. the middle of season two. He has not seen Raven since she went through this whole, like having to face the fact that she will have this physical disability for the rest of her life. Right. She has not looked Murphy in the face and Murphy the Murphy who is now like a somewhat changed Murphy, like a Murphy who has mm -hmm. more of a sense of like relationship to or loyalty to people than he had before has not faced Raven. And That's so really it would be really point. interesting yeah. in terms of like, and Amori is kind of like the person who could bridge those two, you know, yeah. like could kind of like move between Raven and Murphy, right. which I think would be like, that would be like a really fascinating thing to explore because that's like an aspect of Raven's disability 
that she hasn't really confronted. You know, like mm-hmm. she kind of like tried to escape that with Allie. And then when Allie was gone, it was sort of like it was her learning to fall in love with her mind again. But she hasn't really had to reconfront what it means to inhabit her body. And so yeah. like sort of having to like negotiate a relationship with Murphy who's the person who did this to her would be an interesting way yeah. to have her kind of like have to deal with the fact that like she's still living in this body. Right. Which is still limited and still in pain. Right. You know, and like, and especially if, if it's sort of one of those things where it's like, Amori has to do the scavenging for Raven because Raven, because Raven can't actually physically, physically do can't. it. Like, right. I think that would be a really interesting sort of triad to, yeah. to explore from well, a character's standpoint. I think so too. And I think that, and Murphy is so, let's talk about Murphy in the finale. So, so okay. Murphy... <laughs> Murphy, I would say, is actually another one of the characters whose arc over the course of season three has been sort of nonstop delights, both in a way that is tremendously entertaining, but also a really fascinating arc for his character. And by the way, how much do I love that Mike Beach was like, that when we interviewed him, he was like, I don't drink. But I drink with Isaiah Washington and Richard Harmon. <laughs> like, like, I I, wow. I want so much more information. I, know, <laughs> I have seriously. so many questions. That was yeah, that was a glorious, glorious moment. Oh my god. Richard Harmon and his SpongeBob obsession. Yeah. His friends with his drinking buddies with Mike Beach. You heard it here first. So for Murphy, I think the thing that's so fascinating about the difference between where he begins the season like trapped alone in that bunker going insane yeah. and ends the season at like the heart of the hero squad. Yeah. Like an indispensable Clark would be dead without him part of the hero squad that's like actively saving the day in a way that is really interestingly cooperative. And we see it start in the last episode where he and Bellamy sort of fall comfortably back into their like fighting bad guys together mode. Yeah, like yeah. their chemistry is still there, saving each other's lives. I think it begins sort of in some ways with the Pike and Indra, you know, that like Murphy, I think in a lot of ways is a really interesting focal point character to talk about this idea we've been talking about all season of putting aside your past shit you know, and solving the problem that's right in front of you with the people that are in front of you. But I think what's been interesting about that with Murphy is that we're seeing the process of doing that has fundamentally changed him in a way that you could argue, I don't know that it has fundamentally changed Pike. You know, Pike is still Pike. And it's like at the moment he strategically needs Indra, so he uses Indra. But Pike remains consistent. And I think with Murphy, and maybe it goes all the way back to finding Clark again in Polis after he's been isolated from somebody else for so long you know, that he's been sort of moving back to a different version of himself who wants to be with people, wants to be part of that team, is happy to see them again. So it was really satisfying watching him and Abby, which is a pairing I don't think any of us would ever have seen coming, being (laughs) the two working to save Clark. The fascinating thing to me about Murphy, I mean, like, he's such a great character because he's so pragmatic right you know he's like so kind of like whatever you gotta do to survive is the thing that you do right in a show where our main character spends so much time 
you know, we talked about this with Rome last week, where they spend so much time kind of like agonizing over what the right thing to do is. You right. know, like Murphy kind of like works as a character, I think, because he's a foil to that. He doesn't yeah. he's like, you know, you just do X. Right. Like obviously like and then you live and then whatever. Right. But I think another reason why Murphy's really fascinating and one thing that like kind of came out this season and, and in this episode is that I think Murphy also one way that Murphy has survived and not just survived physically, but survived the trauma of his father dying to save him and his mother not forgiving him for that and dying because of that. And then, you know, there's this kind of like sense in which the repeated traumas of loss and rejection that he experienced as a young man that sort of like landed him in prison and landed him in prison as a person who like clearly was like the kid who's like feared but not liked you know right. like the way that he sort of copes psychologically is he has operated under the assumption that he will never be accepted right like right. he expects not to be accepted yeah he expects to be the bad guy or the bully and he expects the worst to happen to him so I feel like one really fascinating thing what's happened with Murphy of the last few episodes is this kind of like weirdly endearing pattern in which like he keeps doing things or keep, things keep happening to him that he never believed he was capable of until it's happening. Like yeah. Abby being like, put your hand in the chest and pump the heart right. because this is going to save us. He's like, I can't do this. I can't. Okay, I'm doing it. Holy right. fuck. I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm keeping this person alive. I'm saving the lives of every single person around me. Like this moment of sort of like Abby makes Murphy do the thing that makes him a hero, which he didn't know he could do until right. he's doing it. And right. this is like a transformational sort of, and I think it yeah. started with Clark in that throne room, mm -hmm. seeing him and calling him her friend. My friend, yeah. And this is like, he never would have expected that. He, right. he I think, probably would have assumed that that relationship didn't exist. But then the same thing with Bellamy. Bellamy seeing him yeah. and immediately kind of like being Snapping like, back okay, into... we got to go do this, buddy. You know, like, yeah. he, I think he would operate under the assumption that those relationships don't exist or that he would have to fight for them or that it would be kind of like a purely like, look, you need me. Like, I know you don't like me sort of thing. Right, right. So this like sort of funny way where like people keep coming to Murphy and acting like he is their friend and he is a hero and that prompts him to behave in that way. Yeah. Because like it's in him. Right. He's just right. sort of like defensively acting out of like, I will reject everything before it rejects right. me. Kind right. Of. He's, it's a textbook. Like I don't want to get hurt. So I'm going to act like I don't need anything or want anything yeah. from you. Like yeah. I'm going to preemptively reject you with my like wall of sass to keep you at arm's length right. before yeah. you can reject me. Right. And then when somebody is like, we don't have time for this. I'm going to just, plow through your wall of sass because I need you to do this fucking thing because we're on the same team now, then I think that reminder that like Murphy's on a team. That and Amori is a big part of that too because yes, she was the first person. Teaching him kind of human connection. Yeah. And, and yeah. also sort of like the first person I think he let himself believe like this is my person. Right. And, and I am her person. Right. You know, and like we look out for each other. We care yeah. about each other. She comes back for me. Right. You know, like the story of like restoring Murphy's faith in himself as a human yeah. being who is important and lovable. Yes. Like, and that, like secretly, oh my like, God, kind of like the it's most so beautiful. <laughs> and the hug, the Murphy and Amori hug in the throne room is so important. The fact that 
he has turned a corner enough to fully understand the same way that the other characters who have been hurt by somebody who is chipped, but who are more emotionally, I think, mature in some ways than Murphy is, but that he also understands in that same, like in the same, like, the, the, you know, that Abby does and that Clark does, that Amori didn't do this to him. Yeah. So that yeah. he's grown enough that, like, like, old Murphy would not have sprinted across the room to like fling his arms around Amori. He would have said something like cutting and sassy. Yeah, and, like, because it would have pinged all of his trust issues again. Yes, yes. And yet both his understanding of who Allie is and what she does and what has happened to all these people and seeing it with not just Amori but other people that he knows like Jackson, like Kane. But still that his first instinct is to hug her and then when she's like I'm so sorry I'm so sorry and he's just holding her yeah to comfort you know, her that he understands she also was a victim of this yeah. and I think you know? it started even before that with you know when he was in the prison with um with Indra and Pike mm-hmm. and we saw Pike had beaten him you know like Pike mm-hmm. had made him an example yeah when they were in that classroom you know yeah. when, when Pike sort of like snapped and needed to do something so extreme to force the kids to kind of like band together mm-hmm. He chose Murphy as a scapegoat. And if you think yeah. about back to season one, it this sort of like completes the arc that started there where like, you know, Murphy was the scapegoat in that classroom. He got to the ground. Murphy became the scapegoat for Bellamy and Clark. Yeah. Which he was. Like, Murphy was an asshole. Yeah. Like, he did not actually kill anybody or do anything bad by like episode four. He was a dick and he like peed on people. He was terrible, right? But he actually had not done anything really that bad. And he became the kind of like symbol for their community of all this bad stuff that they were going to move away from. And they, he was like a classic scapegoat, right? And so like since that moment, like when he came back, Murphy's been operating on revenge. And we saw in the flashbacks, like this is how he's been since, you know, he landed in jail because he was getting revenge on the guard who floated his dad. He, Mm -hmm. He like started a fire, right? That was revenge on the person who had done the thing directly that caused him his pain, even though that person wasn't responsible for it. Same thing in season one, you know, like he comes back to get revenge on the kids in the camp because they had made a scapegoat of him, you Mm -hmm. know, so he hangs Bellamy in revenge. So like there's this like pattern of sort of like you hurt me and I'm going to get revenge for that Murphy that like went through the first half, like season one, first half of season two. And it kind of started to change when he helped Bellamy and Finn in first half season two. But I think it was, this was like a lovely little sort of like wrapping up of that arc for Murphy, which doubles so nicely with the themes of the season where Mm. like Murphy personally had to learn to forgive and to believe that he had relationships with people that were important to him and that survival of everyone and not just his own right, was really important. Right, like that he had yeah. to learn a kind of like we are together rather than just me yeah. against everyone else. Within his character, he sort of like brings together all these themes. But for Murphy himself, this is mm. kind of like a very subtle but very nice transformation for him to be able to be like, I hated Pike, but you know, I'm going to cooperate right, with right. him and sort of forgive him. And like, Amori hurt me, but I understand it was not her. Right. You know, I'm going to like continue to reaffirm that relationship. To help Clark and Bellamy, despite the fact yeah. that they've had all this, like, you know, some yeah, like that he's he's grown so much, and he's one of the characters where I feel like I'm the most intrigued by 
who is season four Murphy going to be? Yeah. Because having gone through all this growth, being in a really, you know, warm and loving relationship now, having opened himself up to that, you know, and also her being a drifter with nowhere else to go, means she's very likely to come back with them. So that gives Murphy a genuine, authentic anchor into this community that he's resisted having. Yeah. He's resisted being pinned down to yeah. anything. He's like, part of the reason he takes off with Jaha is he's just like, I got, I, I got nothing. Owe- like, yeah. who am I here? I'm nothing. I and, have no place. Yeah. You know, and I don't when, like these people. They don't like me. Yeah. And then when, and even when Antari tells him like, you know, I'm just going to murder all these people. And he's like, well, sucks for them. You know? Yeah. I've even forgotten. Like the last thing that, that Raven did before he left was try to turn him over in place of Finn. You know? Exactly. So like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For all of, you know, really the first two seasons, season two in particular, and really well into even season three, we're hearing Murphy say things that sound a lot like, I don't really fucking care about these people. I don't have people. These aren't my people. I don't owe anyone anything. And yet to see him, you know, when he's in the dungeon with um, Pike and Indra, he's the one who's rallying everybody and it's effortless. So like he's, I don't even think he's aware of what a transition it is, but he's saying like, we all need each other if everyone's going to survive. Yeah. Like Murphy is no longer, like he's come up against something that's bigger than himself and the whatever little sort of remaining crumbs of loyalty to the sky people that he had have now been triggered into okay if there is something that we can do to stop this to save everybody i'm gonna do it instead of like what's the easiest thing for me to sort of save my own skin yeah and that's a really fascinating transition and so what i'm hopeful about in season four, if they continue this arc, is that, you know, he's always going to be sassy. He's always going to sort of, like, yeah. low-key be a dick, which is yeah. why we all find him so yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. He's but, always going to be the one who's going to advocate the, like, well, fuck it, let's just do this thing and not worry about whether it's, like, we're good people. Exactly, kind of yeah, like, yeah. That's not going to change. Yeah, that's always going to be who he is. Yeah. But, but seeing that Murphy hardwired into being part of a community and having to learn what that feels like is yeah. really I think it's really fascinating to see. And I think he's yeah. a character where like he has genuinely changed. You know, like he's yes. a different person. Yeah, he really is in ways that feel grounded and satisfying yeah. and like his arc felt clear. He was one and of very subtle, you very know, subtle, like, you know, yeah. so you arrive at the end and the choices that he made in the finale felt perfectly in character and natural, but like you yeah. think about where he started the season or where he started season one and right. you can sort of see the, the tremendous yeah, that yeah. he's had. Like they're both unexpected but yeah. also totally plausible. Yeah. Watching him, I think particularly the little threesome of him and Abby, you know, I will just force him with Antari's dead body. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, Antari. <laughs> oh, sorry. We hardly know you. Um, keeping Clark alive with the nightblood thing, like I think there's something in Murphy that recognizes and respects badassness in other people. Yeah. And that's always been, both with Clark and with Bellamy, I think the thing that he's always hung on to some degree of respect for them, even when they didn't like each other, because he's like, okay, these are like tough-ass people. And I think that him seeing Abby just like fucking crack on Tari's chest open and, and be like, put in. your hand yeah. right here. Yeah. And he's like, this is gross and awful and I don't want to do it. But also, he's not going to be like a chicken when this you know, tiny little woman is like, all right, squeeze this muscle. <laughs> he's like, no, I have to do it. And so like, so like you said, like somebody's saying like, 
don't argue with me. Just put your hand here. Just do the same. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. pushes him into doing things that he couldn't ordinarily do, but it also pushes him into relationship with that person. Yeah. He and Abby saved Clark's life together. Yeah. That is a relationship now. Yeah. He and Bellamy fought off all those people in the elevator. Yeah. That repairs a piece yeah. of that relationship. Bellamy saved his life. Let me say like killing Bellamy shot a guy yeah, wait, to which save he didn't him, want to which do, he didn't which want to do. Been saying like we shouldn't do this, but he killed that guy so that Murphy yeah. would live. Yeah. You know, and like so like watching over the course of the episode him becoming more and more deeply locked into human connection with more and more of these people and with yeah. like and and saving Clark's life and she and 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 the sincerity with which she thanks him and he tries to kind of brush it off with a quip he's like oh it's just another day on the ground and I think that there's yeah. a part of him that does believe that but also like you can see that he feels like, the weight a, of that there's there's so much more in that line though because I think before just another day on the ground for Murphy meant you know, just another day of suffering and struggling to survive. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe in that moment, that line has transformed to mean just another day on the ground means just another day when we save each other. You know, just yeah. get, you know, so it goes from being like my struggle and my pain to kind of collective, like, yeah, I saved your life. Just another day on the ground. Tomorrow you'll save mine. Exactly. Just another day on the ground. You know, like, yeah. so that has actually, the meaning of that has transformed. Yeah, I think so too. And I, in a way that I think is, yeah, that he's, he's one where I'm really interested to sort of see where he goes next because it feels like there's a million different, really exciting potential directions that he could yeah. go. But I'm, I'm hopeful that they continue letting this arc play out and continue, like, letting us see what happens when, like, Murphy is so deeply locked into his relationships with these people that he is now like having to relearn what it's like to be in the middle of a community yeah. again, because I think yeah. that could both be delightful and amusing yeah. watching him sort of bristle yeah. a little bit at like yeah. having to, you know, I mean, I think it's not going to be easy for him. Yeah. 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 I think he's always going to sort of, <laughs> Even you know, if he wants to, it's yeah. Be a little like, <laughs> yeah. Like a little sort of resistant, yeah. but, um, but in a way where, you know, I think he's one of those people where somebody seeing potential in him is transformative you know yes. and, and and maury sees yeah. it and bellamy sees it clark sees it you know in this finale Murphy's we see abby those, like, see it yeah classic troubled kids who like who just, just need someone, someone to believe to be in like, him yeah you know, like i know you can be great and do wonderful yes. things like he's like Rawr, but you know yeah like, but that he really can like, and he little, needed like, someone glowing to do that lights yeah. you know like is is sparked in his heart yeah and it's like oh <laughs> Oh, bless him. Uh, Murphy. <laughs> and his, like, honestly, his death count is so much lower than everyone else's. <laughs> it really is. I know. I know. He hasn't killed anybody by the hundreds, and he's one of the few people <laughs> right. left who can say that. Seriously. It's like Clark, Kane, Bellamy, right, Pike. Right, right. You know? <laughs> he hasn't killed anyone in cold blood in like two seasons. Yeah, so yeah. Like, Which is a big deal for him. Well. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Jasper and Monty. Yes. The whole Arcadia, like, grouping... There wasn't a tremendous amount of character movement. I think, like, most of those characters' arcs had mostly resolved in the previous right. episode. Well, except for the except alternate for the, the Jasper. Very, the very little the bit very at the end, of the the end Jasper. with Jasper. Yeah. yeah. Which, like, man, like, when we were watching, you know, huddled up on the couch. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. And next to each other, like, in each other's arms. I was so terrified yeah. that he was going to walk off and kill himself. Like, it yeah. really, really, really felt like that's where that was yeah. going to go. And I think part of that was having gotten to, you know, three minutes before the end of the episode, 
And, and no one, no had, one died. had died. And they've were, they been telling us, like, you're not going to be ready for all yeah. the tests. You're going to you throw know? something at your television right. screen. You know, so, you're not so, like a total misdirect. So yeah, we're so, just like, how are like a gajillion people going to die in like the next two minutes? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is a bomb going to hit the Polis Tower and right. kill yeah, everybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. There have been rumors and whisperings kind of floating around on the internet that I haven't been able to find like solidly substantiated. But there have been conversations that the alternate ending that we know that they shot, that there was two separate endings, that one of the pieces that was included in the ending that we didn't see was Jasper killing himself. And that definitely felt to us watching how it was filmed. Yeah. The, the way that he says, I'm sorry to Monty, yes. the way that he walks away and you sort of hear the voices giggling and laughing and talking in the background. Yeah. And we see him visually removed from that. Yeah. The way that he's putting on a brave face a little bit, he's sort of like, quipping he's like let's go get a drink you know like he's that we're seeing a version of jasper that's sort of like making an effort to connect with his friends again and i think if it had ended there you know if we'd have the jasper and monty hug and then they all kind of go off together to sort of like celebrate saving the day and that the jasper and monty arc closes on that really sweet beautiful moment where monty tells him like i know this world can suck but at least it's real which is such a powerful thing to hear from Monty with what Monty yeah, has been through. Like yeah. it's it's Monty sort of saying to Jasper in a way like, I am entering into your pain now because like I have, you know, like Monty hadn't really been faced with anything of the same magnitude as Jasper's grief for Maya until he had to go through all of this trauma twice with his mom. Yeah, I think if it ended there, what we would have taken from it is Monty has a degree of, empathy he had sympathy for jasper before but not empathy he wasn't yes. inside right. it yes. and now he's inside it and he can enter in to the place where jasper is in a different way and sort of meet him where he's at yeah. in a way that's a big step forward for monty yeah and that jasper can know that monty understands him and has compassion for him and they can both sort of ask forgiveness of each other. Like that yeah. that Monty is also apologizing for sort of not having been there when Jasper needed him. Right. As much as Jasper is apologizing for the things that he did when he was chipped. And like that right. they both have I think maybe even a little yeah. bit like the things that he did before. And he and was the chipped. person yeah, and like how hard Jasper was making it for anyone to step across that line and yeah. like be in relationship with him. Yeah. And that is and is not his fault because grief fucks with your head. We're all responsible for how we manage our own emotions but those emotions are not his fault so it felt like that moment was a big clearing of a hurdle of like all of the things that they've been through over the course of the past season they have this beautiful hug and and it feels like if that is where it had ended aside from like we talked about last time this sort of the the baffling removal of the moment where we see jasper after all this growth snap and decided to take the chip but still, that the closure of his arc with Monty was sort of where this trajectory was headed. Yeah. Then I think that would have felt like a believable and realistic and satisfying and not too neat and tidy tied up in a bow, but... But um, like actual closure. But an actual closure. But like to have him wander off, it's tough because it's like on the one hand, I understand like part of the point is that it is a struggle to sort of like have returned to him all this pain that he had decided that he wanted to get rid of. Yeah. I do think that that would have made a lot more sense and like hit much more effectively if we had gotten to see him go through the decision to 
take the chip to get away from that pain yeah. rather than skipping over that because like we would understand exactly what made him snap. what made him what made him do that what it meant to him what the pain meant to him and what losing it meant to him that does just feel like still like you know having having come to the end of the season like that is a choice that I think that was not the right choice that they made I understand why they made it but I think it didn't work so part of it is just that like I get that seeing him sort of having to confront this suffering that he was trying to escape mm. is a piece of the story. Yes. Like I get that, yes. you know, so I understand why they would want to show that. I do actually think part of it is just like Devin Bostic is a fucking fantastic actor. He's incredible. He is so good. He was so good all season. He was so good in this episode, like the scene with him and Chris Larkin where they're mm. hugging and talking, like he did such a beautiful job of conveying the depth of Jasper's sadness and his pain. Yeah. Even as he was sort of joking and letting Monty know that they were okay together. So I really think like, for me, like looking at that, if it was sort of like they wanted to get across like Jasper Monty closure, plus Jasper still in a lot of pain, like Devin Bostick did that for That you. scene like, did it. Maybe it wasn't on the page, but like he was good enough that that worked. Yeah. You know, so him wandering off on his own and being sad and alone, the purpose of that is probably to convey that, that Jasper still has work to do right. reconfronting this. I don't know how I feel about that. Because, right. like, basically the way that it ended, it feels like Jasper finishes the season where he started it. Yeah. You know, like, It feels like a circle. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like, maybe he's, like, a little bit different because he's not, like, angry at Monty anymore. Like that part, but otherwise it's basically the same. So like season four, then I'm like, are we just, is it going to be the same, you know, second verse, same as the first, only like right. we changed, we went up like half a key or something like that. I think, and we talked about this before, It I think it feels a little bit to me like another on the list of sort of unexamined representation fails. Yeah. And because Jasper's arc all the way along was showing a really messy and realistic and authentic depiction of grief and PTSD and also the healthy way to work through that, which is not running from it, not hiding from it, not denying it, but moving through it by talking about it, by finding a purpose. Like right. that we and watched the that, Jasper. That Jasper. The thing that Jasper needed to figure out with that is how to allow other people to be a part of that process. Yeah. Like the trouble that Jasper has is that he sort of resisted he didn't really like let people help him or he didn't he didn't really like believe that other people could sympathize or support him and well like, and i think it was the blame thing too it was i the think blame i think there was thing. anger yeah there was anger particularly at clark and at monty and yeah he, and just some degree at Bellamy, although it felt more focused overtly on, on Monty and Clark. Yeah. But that sort of generalized into everybody, you know, like he's a dick to Abby when he goes in for yeah. his checkup because yeah. he's mad at Clark. Yeah. Like his anger at the people that he feels like took Maya away from him means that he's unwilling to engage with anybody because he's just full of anger. And the yeah. anger gets between you and processing the grief in yes. a healthy way right. because it's the wall between you and other people. And so the yes. anger going away frees him up to be able to talk about the pain that he's feeling. Yes. And so what didn't sit right with me about the him kind of walking off alone is that it does feel like, minus the anger, 
how we circle back to the beginning where once again Jasper feels like nobody can understand him when the whole point of his relationship with Raven and trying to save Raven from Allie, you know, and him like drugging her and tossing her in the back of the rover and like driving off to, you know, rescue her is because he's identifying through his own pain that he needs to save Raven from what she did to escape yeah, her Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like it's the kind of like overarching sort of like thematic resolution of the season is this like these, these sort of multiple layered ways in which everyone has to realize that together is the key. Everything we need to do, we need to do together. Right. And like together in as big and small a way as possible. So together meaning like we're erasing sort of like clan boundaries, but also together meaning like needing to sort of like reconcile your anger, your conflict with individuals to be able to right. sort of like right. maintain these relationships. And so having him wander off alone makes it seem like there was a moment where it seemed like that was kind of resolving and then having him wander off alone made it seem like that was kind of like pulling away from that. Yeah. And so I don't really know. Yeah. So that was sort of troubling. And I think it's tricky, right? Because like, I think there's potential here for them to do some really, really, really great stuff with grief in terms of, you know, so on Jasper's side, like Jasper, the anger was getting in the way. Yeah the anger in terms of the way that it put barriers between him and other people. And then also anger making it impossible for him. Like the thing that was stopping him from really inhabiting his pain and his grief and processing through it is the fact that like his anger meant he was still resistant to it. Right. You know what I mean? And one really difficult thing about grief is that like learning to live with the fact that this pain will be with you and yours for the rest of your life and it is now a part of you. Right. You know, like, that's the really horrible thing about grief. It's like, there ain't no fixing it. Yeah, it's not going away. This is a piece of you now forever. And so, like, on Jasper's side, like, I think, like, that was kind of the barrier. On part of his friends, I mean, I think the thing that, like, Monty had to learn that he, like you said, like, the difference between empathy and sympathy, the thing that he had to come to through his experience with his mother is, like, if you are in a relationship with a person who's grieving, if you're a friend or a loved one of, of a person who's grieving, you also have to let them suffer. Right. Like, you cannot ask them to be okay. You have to accept that they are not okay, that not being okay is going to look very different for different people, and it's going to be unpleasant. You have to have healthy boundaries. You can't let them do whatever they want, but you have mm. to also, like, you have to, like, let that, like, not okayness exist and happen right and not sort of like reject it or try to fix it or try to coddle it or erase it or ignore it or you know like or just be like god jasper just like get it together like no wrong like jasper doesn't have it together he gets to not have it together for a while that's what his grief looks like right you know so like there's a certain level of in terms of like relationship it's a two-way street like monty had to learn to accept the messiness and the pain of grief and to and to allow space for that yeah for jasper and jasper had to learn how to accept the messiness and pain of grief and allow space for that for himself mm-hmm. the same way that raven did raven had right. to learn to like accept her grief for finn and her pain and her physical disability as a part of herself rather right. than something that was sort of like antithetical to herself that she had to fight so there are pieces of it in here where i feel like they're doing that really nicely or they're, or they're get very close to doing it really nicely. And the thing about Jasper wandering away that 
feels like it mitigates against that. And I'm a right. little bit unsure how I feel about... Well, and especially in such close juxtaposition with Clark kind of delivering this season's thesis line in her conversation with Becca and Allie, where she says, you don't ease pain, you overcome it. And I feel like leaving Jasper and Monty in that moment where like Jasper's still crying, Jasper's feeling all of his pain, like we're watching those emotions of pain all kind of come back over him. So it isn't gone. It isn't easy and pleasant. He hasn't magically become a stronger person who can just shake this all off. Yeah. But he's surrounded by people. That feels of a piece with that statement that Clark makes that's clearly like a thesis statement for this season and for the show. Yeah. That feels like yeah. that fits it. Yeah. You know? And then him sort of wandering off by himself feels in some ways like it undercuts it. And, you know, even sort of given, like, like we've talked about, like, our frustrations with not getting the chance to see the moment where Jasper snaps and takes a chip. I think I would totally feel like they stuck the landing with Jasper. And then you have that one last weird shot. What is Jasper standing alone with everyone happy without him in the background trying to tell us? That's the place where I feel like there's so much great stuff they could do in season four with Jasper yeah. and Monty. Yeah. And what I'd really love to see is that like they're both still learning like they're never going to snap back to exactly where they were before but they love each other so much and there's so yeah. much in this history and so much in their relationship and i'm so glad that they allowed them to end this season like alive and intact and like loving each yeah. other again yeah. because it was so hard watching those two be split up all season like yeah. it, it was really emotionally wrenching watching them grow apart from each other so having them both go through this trauma that they can now share like that monty can engage with jasper's pain in a way that he couldn't really before when it was sort of an abstraction to him and now monty has gone through grief in another yeah. sort of both in it so what i'd really like to see in season four with them is them kind of continuing to build on the bond they've always had but in this sort of like more complex and nuanced way yeah you know that because they both have these things they've been through, they can be things they talk about with each other. If Jasper and Monty in season four are talking about Maya and talking about Hannah and can sort of be each other's person for that, I think it'll be really satisfying. Yeah. You know, so that's what I'm hopeful. Yeah. So let's switch gears back to Polis. Let's talk about Kane and Abby. Because I really want to. <laughs> do, you, do you like how neutrally I said that? Like they were just like, I'm just let's gonna let's arbitrarily Abby. pick two characters <laughs> oh, out of I nowhere. Know. Oh, I know. Oh, like I, I never think about uh, these guys. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Kane I think Kane, I believe, is his name. <laughs> the gentleman with the shiny hair that I want to pet. Um, so <laughs> Kane had somewhat less to do. That Abby ended up being a satisfyingly hugely significant part of the finale in some ways that were just really wonderful we sort of in a completely unexpected 11th hour kind of way got the finale hero triumvirate that we had projected at the beginning yeah. of clark inside the city of light with raven as the tech genius and, and abby, abby the like doctor the medical, the medical side yeah, of it, yeah like we didn't predict obviously murphy um, right <laughs> that was well, a like, fun surprise but yeah but like yeah. going back to january we were like we want the finale to be like stem lady yes know, yes like, like the science ladies making it happen so it was exciting because i feel and i understand why they do this but the adults are often moved out of 
play coming into the home stretch leading into the finale. So like the season one finale, they're not connected to the kids' main story at all because they're not even there yet. And yeah. in the season two finale, they're hostages with everybody else. And so like it's seeing Abby get strapped down to the operating table that sort of snaps Clark kind of over the edge, yeah. but in a way that is entirely passive for Abby. Abby yeah, I it's know. just like Clark reacting to Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it isn't that she isn't significant, but she doesn't get to do anything. Yeah. So, you know, four or five episodes ago, it was sort of shaping up to potentially be like that was how this season was also going to go. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, like Kane and Bellamy sort of breaking up means that <laughs> Kane is removed as a support and guiding influence on Bellamy, which leaves Bellamy kind of alone. And then Abby taking the chip and sort of being on Team Jaha and moving into that storyline means that then she is not there for either Raven or for Clark as their source of support. So it's sort of like, okay, the kids on their own, you know. So sort of flipping the script and having them suddenly be evil was chilling, but was also sort of an amazing and completely unexpected way to loop them back into the story in a way that had incredibly high emotional stakes at the end where, you know, like as an abstraction, you have like Murphy and Bellamy in an elevator full of grounders and Bellamy is telling everyone like, these people don't know what they're doing and like, we don't want to hurt them. Like these are innocent people that are also victims. And so whatever you do, like do whatever you can to avoid killing people. So when we're talking about that, it's sort of like a hallway full of people that they're trying really hard to disable without killing them. That's one thing. But when it's Kane choking Bellamy, the stakes of how do we resolve this situation feel like you're on the edge of your seat yeah. because if they can't feel pain, there's only so much that you can do. Like one of you is going to have to die. The use of Kane as kind of the leader of this sort of terrifying faction of enemy, you know, like zombie army, like scaling the side of the walls of the tower in Polis and then like beating down the door. You know, it makes it feel like it's a really potent reminder. I feel like that these aren't enemies that you can just kill. You know, yeah. like these are people that you know and and seeing sort of how far, like over the course of season three, how hard they work to make Kane kind of this show's moral center in a way yeah. where it's like whatever Kane is saying is the moral point of view that we want you, the audience, to have. And he's yeah. in opposition to Pike in that way and in opposition to the Grand Massacre. So that was really chilling. And then sort of seeing at the end after everybody is de-chipped and I'm stunned, but also so happy that everybody in the city of light got saved. I know. That I was, was like so worried. That I was like, gonna, like, I was like, they're all going to die. Death. Everyone's yeah. going to die. You yeah. Know? And they sure let it get close. Like, I know Kane's not going to kill Bellamy, but I don't know that deeply enough in my know, gut right? to yeah. feel calm about it. And <laughs> yeah, I was no, I also, didn't either. I was definitely like, I mean, they're not going to kill Bellamy, but what if they kill Bellamy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if they did, and they did it this way, yeah. that would be the worst. And, Holy and, shit. And I also was afraid for a second. I had a lot of feelings about Abby holding a gun on Jackson. I think they did a really good job of, even though, you know, he had very few lines and not a ton of screen time, but of uh, positioning Kane at the forefront of the enemy that they're fighting against, sort of reminding you of what the stakes are if they don't save these people. I was intrigued by the choice to use Octavia as bait when Mm -hmm. Kane and the army are kind of coming in the hallway and they need to like distract them to like shock them, you know, with like throwing their shock sticks into the water, you know, and in light of Octavia ending the season by having sort of become like totally fucked up by her revenge, you know, in hindsight, I think it was a really bittersweet little callback to like how 
carefully they've built up their relationship over the course of the season. Yeah. You know? So yeah, so I right. thought like did they choose Octavia because they thought that on some level Kane is there's still enough in Kane there still in there that Octavia that, would be the one to maybe trigger that. Yeah, not Bellamy level. but Octavia. Yeah. His relationship with Bellamy is, you know, is so fraught, but there was no pain or negativity or anything that like Allie would take away in his yeah. relationship with Octavia, yeah. you know. Which also sort of brings up some of that like you know, the question we're always asking about like how much of you, you know, is is still in there. It's still, yeah. But that there's a part of Kane that very much does not want to hurt Octavia. Yeah. And that that is the only thing kind of compelling enough to stall him for long enough to sort of get the rest right. of the army in place. And yeah. I think like, you know, it's interesting the way that they've sort of set up the alley army at the end with having Bellamy be in particular be the one to insist and sort of remind us over and over again, like these people are not acting of their own volition, you know, like they are bodies that are being controlled by a kind of like outside executive force. And so they are not responsible for the actions they're taking against us. And that therefore like that changes your sort of moral relationship to that person. You know, in other words, like there's a kind of almost a split happening between like the body that is carrying out an action and the moral responsibility for that action or the responsibility for choosing that action, which then changes the moral responsibility of the person who is sort of battling against them, right? And I think that's really interesting because, because it raises the question, you know, like, so, so Allie is an extreme example where, like, we literally have bodies that are being piloted by another mind, right? Like, they are sort of, to some degree or on some level, they aren't acting voluntarily. Their, their decisions are being made for them and being controlled. Mm -hmm. But I think... It's an interesting parallel having Bellamy be the one to say that. Like, obviously, like, this is a piece of redeeming him. You know, right. like, this is, like, Bellamy coming around from the Browner Massacre. But what that raises is the question of to what degree is a soldier responsible for the orders that they are required to carry out? So that grounder army, what's the moral status of cannon fodder? Essentially, if you're in an army, you are a body that is there to carry out the orders sent down from above and to be expended if necessary or to take away other lives as necessary. Right. You're like, you're a body on a chessboard. Right. And is there actually like fundamentally a moral difference between the ground your army that was ordered to be in that field to protect them? And when Lexa died and Antari came up, would have then changed their orders and turned around and become enemies. Is there an essential difference between those bodies acting according to an order that is coming down from above and Allie's army? It was interesting to me, and I thought it was really important, that Pike says, and I believe it, it doesn't make it a good thing that they killed that army, but definitely if they hadn't killed that army... Antari would have ordered them to attack. Right. So, so that is a non-negotiable fact of, you know, the situation that they would have ended in would have been very different if they had let that army live. And that doesn't mitigate what they did. But I think you're right that, like, if you're cultured to follow orders and following orders is your job, and everything we know about ground or military ethics is that you go where the commander sends you. Yeah, whether you, you like know? it or not. Like, right. you know, we saw that at the end of season two, when Lexa ordered them to retreat, yeah. 
And the response was, like, Lincoln was arrested by Indra because he refused to do it. Like, Indra didn't necessarily agree with that order, mm -hmm. but she didn't have a choice not to comply, is how it was presented. Right. I mean, like, obviously, like, Allie, because she, like, literally takes away your ability to choose otherwise. It's an extreme example. But on some level, it's essentially the same thing. So, right. it's like, it raises that sort of question, like, now Bellamy is sort of reckoning with the moral situation he's in vis-a-vis -vis people who are acting out orders that are not personally their own. Mm -hmm. And he's making the opposite decision. Originally, he had been like, these bodies represent the executive order that is coming from above that could change, that could be a threat. Like, mm -hmm. these are bodies that could potentially do something to hurt me and therefore they have surrendered their moral status as people whose lives have sanctity, right? right? And now he's saying like, these people have no control over their bodies. Whatever they do, their lives still have sanctity at that I have a personal moral responsibility to protect right. to the utmost with the only exception being like, if I literally have no choice but my life or theirs or the life of one of my people or theirs, that's the line when I take it, but not right. before. Obviously, it's a categorically different choice, but it seems to me that there is a kind of like a deeper parallel to those situations than well, even there seems to be on the surface. Yeah, because I think that you can draw a really clear line from Bellamy and Pike on the battlefield to Bellamy and Nyla to Bellamy and Kane. Yes. Right. I think that line yes. runs through Nyla. I think it does. Because I think yeah. that's the moment where he realizes that all those people were also individual human beings. Yes. And it also runs through Luna. Because yeah. Luna is the one who sort of vocalizes, who has built a society on the recognition that she had in the conclave, that each person's life has the same amount of weight regardless of the situation. Yeah. And that there is always, in every situation, a choice about whether or not to take it. Right. And that taking it is like... You can't go back from that, right? right? Like, you can't give back a life that you've taken. So, yeah, I think you're right. It goes from, like, Pike and Bellamy to Kane and Bellamy to Nyla and Bellamy to Luna and then back out to Bellamy here mm -hmm. at the end. But yeah. this is a kind of, like, succession of different iterations of ways of understanding the, your relationship to somebody whose life you might take in a battle situation. Right. Like, Luna was the culminating kind of, like, here is the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. And now we're kind of like, we're still somewhere in the middle of that spectrum, but like we only for a long time had the other end, the like you kill to survive. Right. Like, and that's just how it is. And now we have the other end of the spectrum with Luna, which is like, you never kill even to survive. One of the things I think is really interesting about the role that Kane and Abby both played in the finale, both in their chipped and unchipped versions, is putting both Clark and Bellamy in situations with life or death stakes, where the thing that the real unchipped version of... Kane or Abby would want them to do is exactly what they are doing. Yeah. Like for Clark, yeah. as harrowing as it is for us to watch Clark watch her mother maybe die, we all know that Abby wouldn't want her to give up the past. Right. And as awful as it is to think that Bellamy might have to kill Kane or someone else might have to kill Kane to get Kane off of Bellamy, we all know that the real Kane would want his people saved at all yeah. costs. And he would want Bellamy to do everything that was in his power to not have to take a life. But if he had to take 
a life or a small number of lives to save everybody, yeah. that that's what Cain would do. Yeah. And Cain wouldn't pick his own life over Bellamy. Cain would, no. no. Cain, yeah, like, Cain is constantly trying to die. I know, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's kind of his thing, you know. Cain is like, can I offer my life and services for saving you here? How about here? How about here? And it's like, oh my God, buddy. He's like, always like being murder blocked. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I think it's an interesting yeah. question too with Abby and Cain, you know, when they wake up and they both have this kind of like, and in Amori, too, like, they're overwhelmed with horror at yeah. the thing that they remember doing, even though they didn't, like, voluntarily do it. I mean, right. I think that's a really complicated relationship as well, because it's like, they don't really have moral responsibility for what they did, because they didn't choose to do it, they didn't have control right. over it, right. but they still experience remorse and yes. grief, like, they have the emotional experience right. of the thing that they did, and or almost did, right. having caused pain to somebody that yeah. they love. So there's a dimension to that that kind of drives home, like, even if what you did wasn't wrong because you didn't make that choice or mm-hmm. it was really something that you had to do for whatever reason, like, mm-hmm. the repercussions for that for you as a person are real and difficult and right. meaningful and still have to be sort of, like, reconciled and worked through. I think that in particular, and what makes that, I think, really so poignant and how it's parallel with both of them is really that it's a parental grief that they're both yeah, feeling. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the way it's shot, too, is really lovely. Like, there's a very similar sort of physical kind of reaction like the very first thing of the episode which is just wrecked me where we watch abby wake up in clark's arms you know and we watch the moment where abby kind of you know after she's been de-chipped and sort of comes back to herself and you watch her sort of look around the room and take it in and you see and patrica was just was on fire this episode she was phenomenal you see the memories wash over her face and you see her start to crumple yeah and you see clark like no 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 it's okay it wasn't you like trying to like comfort her and there's nothing that she can do and you see abby like looking at her hands and then she can't look at clark anymore the part that killed me is when she starts to reach for clark and and then then, like pulls back back. and then she reaches like instinctively yeah and then like and there's like i can't touch touch you and then kane mirrors the same physical action so kane pulls his hands off of bellamy and you see his face you see the memory kind of come crashing down over his face and then you see him look at his hands and kind of reach out and then pull back and then he can't look at bellamy yeah that really lovely parental mirroring of like not just that i hurt a person that i cared about but like i hurt like my child like yeah. it tells us so much about yeah. Kane's relationship yeah. with Bellamy yeah. and is such a heartbreaking little capper to like their growing kind of estrangement over the course of the second half of this season that even after all of the things that Bellamy did Kane cares about him so much that Kane is wrecked by the thought of having almost hurt him you know yeah. and I think that's an important thing for Bellamy to know yeah because Bellamy doesn't look I mean Bellamy looks is like scared Bellamy doesn't look angry no. Like, and I think that, you know, we see that, like, we really dive deeply into that moment with Clark and Abby because their relationship becomes such a huge part of the rest of the episode. Yeah. But it's mirrored in sort of smaller and subtler ways with Kane and Bellamy at the end where we can, I think, sort of extrapolate that, like, the conversation between the two of them would go very similarly to the Clark and Abby one, which yeah. is that Bellamy understands that that wasn't Kane, mm-hmm. isn't angry, it doesn't hold a grudge, mm-hmm. but that it's another weight on his soul that he has to sort of work mm-hmm. through, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we get it right at the beginning with Clark and Abby, that we begin the episode with both with Abby becoming de-chipped for plot reasons because she's needed to yeah. move that plot yeah. forward. But in some ways, it's like everything that I wanted from this finale was for Clark and Abby's relationship, which has been 
really frustratingly sidelined all season long. Yeah. To finally, I think more than in anything since the beginning of season one, to become incredibly plot relevant. Yeah. You know, which is so emotionally satisfying and also letting Abby be like a fucking crazy badass. Yeah. But also (laughs) that like Clark going into the city of white and going into danger surrounded by the people who care about her the most sort of as her anchor Mm -hmm. was a really important way to sort of recenter her in a lot of relationships, you know, that she has been sidelined from for a lot of the season. I mean, like, honestly, like, all I really wanted from the finale was for Clark to go into the City of Light with, like, Abby and Bellamy by her side. Like, and they did, yes. And they did. And it was perfect. It <laughs> was, was perfect. So yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the whole time I was like, this is exactly, like, this is the power trifecta that I wanted. It's like, Abby's holding one hand, Bellamy's holding the other hand. And, like, Abby being, like, scared about the danger of, like, what Clark was doing. Yeah. And Bellamy just being like, I believe you. I trust you. If you yeah. say this is what we have to do, if you say that you can yeah. do this, then yeah. then I'm going to, like, help you do it. You know, which yeah. is, like, the epitome of their relationship. And, like, I'm still emo over the fact that, like, she, like, sort of reached that out she her reaches hand. out for she Bellamy's like, come on, hand. Bellamy, grab my hand. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and he, like, makes a little joke for, about, like, being hung oh. upside down for the whole... I mean, like, that is the exact amount and, like, tone of Bellark that I wanted. Yes. For this. Yes. Any more than that would have been too much. I think it would have yeah. yeah, wouldn't have been good. Well, because the, and maybe this is a good transition we can talk about Bellamy too. Yeah. The great work that 3B has been doing in reestablishing their partnership. Yes. And their dependence on each other. Yeah. And the fact that they are stronger together. Yes. Is I think what was missing in 3A yeah. that weakened a lot of the different storylines. Yeah. I think the absence of their partnership at the heart of the show, everything suffers when the two of them go too long without being in each yeah. other's storyline. Yeah. So it felt like the culmination of that, you know, the hand holding and the together. They've been so carefully rebuilding that and showing that Clark in Demons was like ready to give up and give up her life until Bellamy mm. was like, no, fuck that. Like, we're going to have another plan, you know? Right. And then, like, her sort of supporting him in the following episode. So, reestablishing that, like, they each give each other, like, the strength and the ability to keep pushing and to keep hope alive, not right. to give up, to keep right. fighting. They're each other's kind of like faith. This is the person who will never give up on you. So they're not going to yeah. give up on themselves. You know, I think that was really important just kind of like to reestablish like they need each other in that sense. In that right. like, this right. is the way in which that they're stronger together is that they kind of like the moments of doubt. Yeah. The other person is there to sort of like bolster them. You know, having this plan and them being concerned but Bellamy being the one who's like, okay, you know, like I trust you. I believe you. I will be here to protect you and enable this plan to work. But my faith in you is like unshakable, essentially. Right, so like right. that makes it possible for Clark to sort of like carry out these plans. And like it's yeah. so, you know it's perfect that her mom is sort of like, are you sure? Are you sure? Oh my god, you could die. You know, like yeah. like absolutely, that's like the way that Abby yeah. should be. Right, right. But like she still needs Bellamy to be the one to be like, I believe you. And I'm right. gonna put that chip in your mouth. Like I have faith that you know what you're talking about. Like and and I will be out here doing my half of the work while you're in there doing your half of the work. And I also felt like a really nice little sort of new slice of that that we hadn't ever really seen before because they're never on the squad together, but was sort of foreshadowed in like the very first scene of the whole season is Abby's also growing trust in Bellamy. Yeah, yeah. Abby's like first line 
in the whole season is telling Kane that Bellamy's come a long way. Yeah. Like yeah. that's the first thing that she says. They have so little relationship with each other. They have yeah. there's a, a little bit like the middle of season two, there's her and Bellamy and Finn giving them guns to go hunt for like right. like they don't not interact, but they but it's very little. And they've never been quite like what you and I always wanted, which is the like the Clark Power Squad. You right, know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to see Abby sort of be like My daughter trusts you, so trusts I trust you. you. Yeah, like she trusts him, you yes. know, that he's yeah. gonna take charge. Yeah. It's like he's in charge of the the barricade squad. It's a sort of perfect little nonverbal communication where she pulls out where Abby holding a gun for the first time yeah. in the entire show. Yeah. And and you know, and cocks it like a pro. And I, part of me was just like did Bellamy teach you that? Because I don't know if she would have asked Kane. Yeah, like, right, Where'd right. you learn how to do that, girl? She, it probably yeah. was Bellamy. It probably was Bellamy. And like, are you sure? Yeah, and she's yeah. like, only if and I need And like, to. only if I get past yeah, you. Like, right. which, which is Which is, again, which is such a lovely, like, like oh I God, trust Claire, you. If, because Bellamy taught Clark to shoot. If he taught Abby to shoot, oh too. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Bellamy teaching Family. the Griffin ladies how to protect themselves. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. I love it. It's so beautiful. I don't think that she would ask Kane. No, I don't think she would ask you know? Kane, either. But there's so much in the relationship between Abby trusting people because Clark trusts him. And we also see that with Murphy. It's Clark saying Murphy knows what he's doing and Murphy being the one that does the chip thing yeah. that I think in some ways opens it up to Abby to be like, Clark trusts this guy literally with her life. I'm going yeah. to, too. That's something that Abby and Bellamy share is this kind yeah. of like implicit trust in like, if you're Clark's person, you're my person. Yeah, yeah. And it's really satisfying to see that with them sort of jointly, like to see Abby being like, Bellamy, you take this position. I'll take up this position. Like Abby and Bellamy being like barriers one and two between the invading army and yeah. Clark yeah. was like really powerful. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? And then even, like, when they were first hooking her up to Antari, mm. and I feel like there's a kind of, like, even on sort of, like, a comfort level, you know? It's, like, on the one side, you have Abby, who's, like, in Dr. Mom mode, you know, who's, like, setting up the array and sort of, like, making sure that Clark's going to be okay, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of comfort. And then on the other side, there's, like, Bellamy holding her hand and, like, yeah. cracking Making jokes. the little quip. Yeah, and yeah. being, like, it's okay, you know, like, yeah. I've done this before, too, you know, like, this is now another thing that we share and that... Yeah they kind of like split that as well. Like yeah. These are the two people yeah. who are like the most important and like the most, right. like the most comforting presences for her. Like if her mom right. is okay and Bellamy is okay and they're both there. Yeah. Then and then their responses to everything that happens are perfectly in character. Like the yeah. second it starts to go wrong, Abby's like, shut it down. And Bellamy is like, Give it a sec. Give her Give a, a minute. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like Bellamy is like, if yeah. she thinks this is going to work. It's going to work. Yeah. Like, Which is like, again, it's like perfect. Like, of course the mom is going to be like, the mom shut and it the down, doctor. shut it down. Like, like yeah. if there's any chance she's going to die and Bellamy's mm. like, listen, Clark is a badass. Let's wait this out. You know, yeah. like she said to like, let it go. We're going to let it go. Yeah. You know, that whole sequence was full of those little moments where it felt like it felt like a really satisfying payoff for, you know, the three of them, for Murphy and for Abby and for Bellamy, the ones that are sort of right there with her the whole time. Yeah. The perfect payoff for all of their relationships with Clark. That, like, everyone is 100 million zillion percent focused on keep Clark alive and, like, this is our only hope. Yeah. But they're doing it in ways that feel so satisfyingly consistent with who they are and their relationships with her. All the polis stuff, all the protect Clark and fighting the enemy, you know, like Ali's army stuff in Polis, I thought was so satisfying and thrilling mm -hmm. and high stakes and so rich in everyone's relationships. Yes. Like Clark yes. and Bellamy in that throne room scene, it was like 
all of 3B has been building back up to this moment where it's like the hand holding together. Yeah. Like the lever isn't the parallel. It's the them holding hands while she's in the city of light. Well, then also like when she comes back out, you know, Mm -hmm. I think like it's really satisfying that the very, very end of the season is Bellamy and Kirk standing next to each other. You know, Kirk waking up from having gone into the Citadel by herself and done this Mm -hmm. thing by herself. And coming out and, like, her mom is just happy she's alive. And she's like, you know, go to him. <laughs> go to your love, Marcus Payne. Oh, Clark is a cabbie <laughs> shipper. It is canon. Clark loves her new stepdad. Bellamy is, of course, like, again, like, perfectly right. within character. Bellamy is the one yeah. who, like, goes over and helps her up. And Bellamy's the one who sees that things aren't right. Yes. You know, he sees that, like, you did what you went in there to do, obviously, mm. because everyone's waking up. But, like, he's, like, so keyed into her. You know, like, he sees yeah. that something is wrong. Yeah. And that we end with her saying to Bellamy, like they're standing side by side and her saying, you know, because we didn't. Like her looking to him again and being like, we, you and I, me and Bellamy, like we still have a problem to solve. Like we are still partners in this. So kind of like reaffirming that even though she went in there alone, like they're still the core unit. And closing with the shot on both of them as everyone else is like hugging and reconciling and everyone else is going, thank God it's over. And we, the audience, know... And they're the only other two characters who know, and that we end there. Yeah, and then even, like, the last sort of shots of the season are them reacting to Octavia, and then Clark turning and looking at Bellamy to see his reaction and closing on Bellamy. To close out a season where they started apart with them together in a way that really reaffirms, like, yes, these are the two core characters of the show, and this is the core relationship. Like, whatever form that relationship takes, Clark and Bellamy together facing you know like the end of the world like that is the core that is the heart of the show yeah and it felt like a really i felt very comforted that that was where we ended as a way to indicate that they seem to be setting up a season four where that relationship is going to be key they're not going to split them up for like half the season again yeah like because season one ended with them separate and they were separated for most of season two yeah season two ended with them separating and they were separate for most of season three yeah season three ends with them clearly not just like together like side by side standing next to other but like a unit. They're yeah. the two people who know the thing that's about to happen, which positions them to be the people who are like shaping how that story unfolds. Exactly. Yes. Which is yeah. very, very like satisfying and reassuring. Yeah. So talk about Bellamy for a minute, like closing out his arc in this episode. Yeah. For all of the big problems that we had with Bellamy's arc in 3A and the way that they started it, I think they really nicely stuck the landing. I would say all of 3B for Bellamy, I would say actually really good. I've been really happy with it. Yes. Yeah. So like as frustrating as the setup was, that second half execution has been really great. And so I thought like this episode, they did a really, really nice job of sort of wrapping up his season three arc. And then kind of maybe indicating where it's going to go for season four. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because they, like, they wrapped it up relatively early. You know, it was like fairly early on right, in the episode, right. like in the first half, when he goes in and he finds out what Octavia has done to Pike and they're sort of like setting up the barrier. Mm-hmm. And we get that line when he says to Octavia, I know what you're feeling. I acted out of revenge too. And I don't want that for you. Which I think is really fascinating. We can talk about this more with Octavia, but I think it's really important for Bellamy's character that, like, 
the way that he's framing that experience now is very much like he has come to an understanding of himself. And I think that's really important. So like, this is him saying like, I recognize what my motives were and that one of them, one, one major factor was my personal pain and my need for revenge. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, he recognizes that he recognizes that that motive was wrong which is also really, really important in terms of like Bellamy as a character actually atoning, like he needs yeah. to recognize, but he like recognize that it was wrong. And then he's also now able to, in a way that's, that's very fitting for Bellamy's character, to sort of like empathetically use that insight on himself to empathize with other people, particularly his sister. He can look at Octavia, you know, and like, and seeing what she did to Pike, he doesn't get angry. You know, like, just like he doesn't get angry at Kane, mm-hmm. you know, because he's able to look at her and, and sort of say, like, I know what you're in right now because I was there. Yeah. And I did this and it was wrong and I don't want you to experience yeah. having become that person. You know, so I think that was really huge. And then, like, of course, the other half of it is Pike saying is him, him and Pike. Yeah. Pike saying, like, so you think I was wrong? And, and Bellamy being able to say to him, like, again, like an even deeper level of understanding of himself to say, like, I wanted to think like you when we did this. Like, you gave me something emotionally that I needed at that moment. Right. But, like, that was coming from a bad place, and he regrets having done that. So, like, he's, again, he's able to understand what made him become that person and recognize the ways that it's wrong and learn that lesson Mm. to try to, like, not do it again. I think that's the key point that's so important in that Bellamy and Pike moment is that it is drawn so clearly for us that Pike would do it all over again yes. the exact same way and Bellamy would not. Yes. And so to me, that was like, you know, where do they sort of stick the landing with Bellamy? It's that. It's yes. that moment where yes. we see that Pike has not changed. Pike doesn't hold grudges. Like when Pike tells Brian, like, that was another war. We're over here now. We're doing this differently. Yes. Like he's tactically and strategically working with Indra and Murphy. He was like, that was the right decision for that moment in that war. And I would make that decision again because I think it was the right decision. Right, right. And it's like totally divorced. But now we're over here. And so so I don't have time to be mad at Brian now. I don't have time to be holding this grudge with Indra right now because that's all in the past. Now we're over here. But at the same time, he still believes that the choice that he made was the right one. And his reasons for that, many of them are... Valid. I think it's a valid question to pose about what would have happened if that army had still been there during the commander transfer. Sure, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, Bellamy, with all the stuff that Bellamy has gone through, hearing Pike make the same rational arguments that Pike made when they made this decision before, and Bellamy no longer hearing that as the right choice. You know, I think it's important that the lesson that Bellamy learned wasn't like, well, that was the wrong strategic choice. So I should make a different strategic choice. Exactly. You know, like the lesson he learned wasn't, well, that didn't like do what I wanted it to do. What he learned was like, regardless of the outcome, even if that was the correct strategic choice and you could still use the same arguments, it was wrong. What I did was not right. Yeah. That's the lesson that Bellamy needed to learn. And that's like really the moral lesson, you know, is not like, well, the repercussions were bad and that's what makes it bad. Right. Because it's inherently bad. Yeah. Because Pike's strategic arguments still make the same strategic sense that they made before. But But Bellamy's a different person. Bellamy is making decisions on a totally different basis. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I also think it's really important for Bellamy that he said, I don't know what's right. 
all I know is I have to live with what I've done. You know, so I think it's really important for Bellamy too because there's a kind of like what was actuating him during 3A was partly like revenge. It was partly like being convinced by these strategic arguments on Pike's part about our, our people versus their people. But it was also this very like absolute sense of right and wrong. Right. Like he had convinced himself that there was a right answer and this is what it was. And it didn't matter what other people thought or it didn't matter if other people got mad at him because he was doing the right thing. And so I think the other really important piece of it is that Bellamy has now moved to a place where he's rejected that certainty. Yeah. You know, so it's not like he was like, well, there was a right and a wrong, and I picked the wrong, and now I'm going to pick the right. He's like, I don't know what was right. right. Like, it was a messy situation, and you're not wrong about, like, things could have gone disastrously wrong if we hadn't done that. Right. All I know is that the thing that I did, it was, like, morally wrong, and that is a weight that I will have to carry on my soul. Right. That I'm going to have to cope with and deal with. And also him saying, like, all I know is I have to live with it sort of tells us as an audience that, like, again, he's not brushing it aside. You know, it's not like, well, I did it, but right. I forgive myself, I'm over it. It's like... This is a thing that I will be reckoning with as a part of me trying to learn how to deal with that being a part of me and not act on that part of me again right. for the rest of my life. Something that I'm really interested to see in season four that I really hope that they continue is, we can talk about this more when we sort of get into Octavia, but the idea that like, as a family... The Blakes have very short fuses, you know? Yes. And <laughs> so Bellamy choosing to take that trait in himself, that he is self-aware in a new way now, that it is not always the right choice. Yes. And to take that as something where it's like, this is a thing that I do, and I'm consciously rejecting that where like before I just thought like this is just the way things are and now yeah. it's like no this is I mean in me this is how I react to things yeah and I'm working on not doing that and which could lead into if they let those consequences breathe it could be like what the culling was for Kane and also for him you know in season one where it becomes something that shapes the choices that you make subsequently yeah in a way yeah. that creates permanent change in the kind of person yeah. that you are yeah and in a way that's going to create only an ever deepening contrast between him and Octavia yeah who has decided to fully and completely lean into that anger as the driving force, you know, in her choices and behavior in a way that allows for no room for the kind of weighing of the consequences in terms of like their cost on your soul, like the cost of those actions in terms of the person that it turns you into to have done those things. Yeah. She's not there yet. Like Bellamy is there. Bellamy is like, I don't want you to become the kind of person yeah. who makes these choices. And Bellamy, like, what I, I think the other, like, nice little sort of parallel there with, you know, Abby and Becca and Clark, which we can get to in a second, is, like, that is Bellamy having learned the lesson that Becca says, which is, it's not just the goal. It's yeah. how you accomplish the goal. That's yeah. the lesson that Bellamy has learned. Before, he was mm -hmm. only about the goal and it didn't matter, yeah. like, whatever got you there. Yeah. And now he's realized, like, what counts is how you do it. You have to consider that. I mean, I think that you could say, like, Octavia killing Pike at the end, that's maybe another example of perverse instantiation. What's the definition? Oh, yes. Perverse instantiation, the implementation of a benign goal through deleterious methods unforeseen by human programmer. So, I mean, like, a benign goal or a just goal would be justice for Lincoln, right? right. You know, and, and Pike being the one who's responsible for Lincoln being dead, basically, on every level through deleterious means, which is she slices his leg 
so that the alley zombies will kill him for her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then when that doesn't work, she sort of takes it, you know, and like does it herself. Maybe another sort of example of that is like Octavia is the monster that Pike created without realizing that he'd done it. You know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. But like, there's a serious problem with Octavia yes. as a character because I think, because I think with Octavia, the issue is they want it both ways with her. Yeah. Like on multiple levels. So like, so one thing that Mike said to us when we were interviewing him yesterday is Mike didn't know that Pike was going to die until he got the final script. That decision apparently wasn't made until they wrote the final script. And what Jason said to him was, well, Pike has to die because he killed Lincoln. Well, that seems to me to be like totally antithetical to every other theme that they've been building up the this entire is my, season. This is my issue. Either, okay, either the narrative is saying Lexa is morally correct in having totally discredited blood must have blood. And the correct choice is saying we are moving away from blood must have blood as a defining ethos of all of these different cultures. Yeah. Or Octavia is morally correct in killing Pike because Pike killed Lincoln. Not both. Not both. It they cannot, cannot be both. They both be true because yeah. if blood must have blood has been discredited and that's blood must have blood. That is the most blood must have bloodiest exactly. thing. So like Jason Rothenberg saying like, well, Pike has to die because he killed Lincoln. It's like, what? Right. Like to me, that invalidates all of Lexa as a character. Yeah, exactly. That makes Lexa irrelevant in a way that is like, I didn't know that Jason could say something that would make me more upset about his treatment of Lexa. <laughs> and yet there it is. And yet because, there it is. Because her, like... She, like, died for her, that. Yes, like, the whole arc of Lexa's leadership was like, you have Lexa and Kane, like, as parallels to each other, and then Pike and Antari... As the reverse of that, as holding on to yeah, the old ways. And yeah. then you have these two leaders who come from that, who used to be that, and are moving towards a new way yeah. where they're putting that vengeance mindset and those like old divisions behind them. Yeah. And so if the whole goal, and Clark coming to Luna and saying like, Lexa was working towards blood must not have blood, like Lexa was working to transform your entire culture yeah. into moving away from this vengeance-minded morality. And we see Octavia begin to go down that road in a way that we're led to believe is Octavia making wrong choices. Octavia, like, stabbing that yeah. guy with, like, you know... See, but, and this is where Octavia becomes a problem. Yeah, because huge if, problem. If yeah. Octavia killing Pike out of revenge is supposed to be the wrong choice, and this is Octavia making a series of wrong choices, and that's what she's going to have to overcome, then that makes sense, right? Right. And if that's the trajectory that Octavia is supposed to be on in 3B, then having her beat Bellamy should be the starting point of Octavia doing bad shit out of anger. But then it shouldn't have been filmed like we were supposed to be on her side and Bellamy deserved it. Right. And and the script that they released of it also right. Right. even further supporting the idea that this is justified. Right. And right. the right thing. Like so like they want it both ways with Octavia. They want her beating Bellamy and killing Pike and kind of like being angry and vengeful to be justified because these things are bad and like these people need to be punished and also at the same time have them be like the wrong choice that other people are like that we're supposed to be trusting or telling her that she shouldn't be doing but like somehow like she can do them and they're wrong but she doesn't get punished for them because like yeah. like it's just like incoherent you know yeah. like and Octavia is the character in which this incoherency which still exists 
thematically and in the narrative is kind of like coalescing. Yeah. So like Octavia is like a humongous problem as yeah. a character. And Octavia's arc ends in a way where it's like, I feel like she's going to become a bigger and bigger problem in season four. Yes. Because yes. Because first of all, when she storms out of that throne room, which was like a very powerful moment, where the fuck is she going? Yeah. Like, yeah. she has no way to get down. Yeah. You're still <laughs> stuck on the 30th floor having your 17-year-old tantrum. Like, 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 if she's not like standing in the hallway, like tapping her foot, like huffing when they come out yeah. and being like... Look, I don't know how to get down, so I'm going to get down with you. But as soon as we're outside, I am yeah, walking away. Yeah. I don't know how to fix an elevator, so for like the next five minutes I need you, but I'm not but I'm speaking to you. I'm still mad at all of you. I'm still mad. Yeah. Oh, my God. So this is what's upsetting. So I know, like, because it was Marie and Isaiah that they sent to Upfronts, and yeah. Marie gave a couple of, not really interviews, but sort of, I guess, had some kind of little, like, quotes. Right. Talking about, that, you know, they're taking Octavia down a really dark road and that like Octavia's role in season four is going to be going somewhere darker. So to me, that seems to indicate like, I'm not saying that's not a story I'm interested in seeing because Octavia begins the show. She's one of the kind of moral centers, you know, she's the one who's always looking for a nonviolent way. She's in opposition to Bellamy's sort of tendency towards violence. So there is something fundamentally dramatically interesting in the idea of her falling so far away from the things that she loved about Lincoln and the kind of person Lincoln wanted her to be and the things that she used to believe in stand for that she's become some dark, like vengeance minded version of herself. Right. Like it could be an interesting story, but for how long before they have to be like, okay, you can be mad, but you have to come back here because like, the planet's on literal fire. Right. So, like, so like, how long can she go wander around in the wilderness right. before she has to get looped back into the right, A story? Right, you right, know? right. And where is she going to go? And what is she yeah. going to do? Is she going to? I mean, yeah. I'm, after she gets injured down off the cross, presumably, you know. Right. So, I'm so disappointed that the story that they seemed up until like Octavia's three B arc was beginning to become really satisfyingly interesting. It was beginning to become about something that felt really clearly, particularly once Luna and Indra got involved, forcing Octavia to reckon with the person that that Lincoln's grief has turned her into being a person Lincoln wouldn't recognize. Yeah. And then the fact that she just stabbed Pike and took off and nobody stopped her or said anything. I mean, they could still go there. You know, like maybe season four would be about her kind of like going super dark and then having to like come back from that i still ship you know octavia and luna so like maybe oh, yeah. she'll wind up i, I really do i i feel <laughs> like, like having to confront with luna again. yeah like, that would be i feel really like that could be really satisfying if octavia ends up in some way like if luna gets looped back into that story yeah. and, i think and, there's a lot of juice and there. season four is really about octavia having to confront that and make some choices you know and and with the world kind of like ending octavia like walking out being like i'm done with everyone you know right. like i'm angry her sort of having to like like one way or another sort of like finding out that this is happening and having to come back and confront everyone and working with Bellamy, which like she hadn't really done. Like right. they're sort of like in a detente, you right. know what I right. mean? Like right. to have some moments where yeah. she hasn't really like forgiven him. So they could still go there. But it's just like one of those like this is the problem with Octavia. There's plenty of stuff tending that direction, but then there's still also remaining this other stuff which sort of pushes in the other direction. Right. Which is just kind of like Guys, you can't actually have it both ways. Like, I know we all love Octavia and she's super great, but like, you need to let her like be straight up wrong sometimes. 
Yeah. You know, they have the same problem with Clark every once in a while, where it's, right. like, really, really right. hard. Like, there's a couple of characters where, like, even when they're really wrong, they're not really wrong. And, like, Clark, they got there. You know, right. like, Clark's right. finally sort of confronted that. Yeah. But, like, Octavia seems to be the one where it's, like, you just need to let it go. You know, like, the shit she did was wrong. Like, you gotta pick a lane, essentially. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, and <laughs> it's, like, you have this desire for the thing that that character does to be correct. And they're acting in direct opposition to the thematic threads of the narrative that you've been building all yeah, season. Yeah, and also the moral standards to which you're holding every other character. Well, exactly. That's the thing. I mean, the part that I can't get past is the Lexa and Octavia parallel about, like, is grounder culture moving away from blood must have blood or not? And if Octavia, who has sort of immersed herself so deeply in this desire to become a grounder but is doing it in a way that because of lex's example the show is saying this is no longer who this culture is anymore then we need to see like that's like she's appropriating a culture and she's doing it incorrectly right and the narrative needs to call that out and that doesn't mean octavia can't do it like that doesn't mean that it's not the psychologically correct choice for octavia to have made absolutely but it means that the narrative needs to like that it's presented to us as, like, she's made a wrong choice that's going to have consequences right. for her. And, like, I mean, there's a similar thing. Speaking of Lexa, maybe we can transition into the city yeah, of yeah, yeah. stuff now. You know, like, they had a similar problem with Lexa, I think, in 3A, where they wanted it both ways with Lexa, too. Like, Lexa's arc is about her learning blood must not have blood, but at the same time... You know, they have her, like, kicking ambassadors out the window at random just to show that she's... Like, so they they kind of both wanted, like, she's badass and can kill everyone. And, like, isn't it cool when she kills people, but also killing people is wrong and she needs to learn that. And they're like, it was kind of like this inconsistency. There's not the same set of standards for, like, Lexa and Octavia that there seem to be for all the other characters. And I think removes some capacity for nuance. I think when you have these characters, you know, and I think Lexa and Octavia are both really good examples. And also with Clark. You have these characters that become fantastically popular and have this like huge fan following. And so there are always going to be people who just assume, you know, Octavia did this thing, so it must be right. Like, like, I I love Octavia. Octavia is the character I relate to the most. So I side with whatever she does. And we were clearly as an audience meant to identify with Lexa. Yeah. You know, like Lexa in season three is a good guy. You know, like we're supposed to sympathize with her. Yeah. We're supposed to, you know, understand her and approve of her choices. Yeah. And we did get a much richer sort of, I think, psychological portrait of her in season three than we ever got in season two in terms of like seeing her in her world, what makes her tick, and seeing the things that were sort of told instead of shown in season two about her being a strategist and a tactician and the diplomat, we began to see not nearly as much as I would have wanted, but somewhat more of that in season yeah. three. Yeah. You know. But yeah. then again, I think but I, I think, think the rush of the rush they needed wanting to, to get to the love story yeah. more quickly. And they, so they needed us to be like to understand, you know, why Clark loves her and to sort of buy that love story which meant that Lexa had to be sort of like relentlessly like positively portrayed in a way yeah that didn't necessarily jive with season two Lexa yeah there's some real moral ambiguity there's a lot of questions you can ask about the rightness or wrongness of Lex's decision at the end of season two to leave yeah. the Sky People and Mount Weather. Which they kind of just brushed over. Which they kind of brushed you know? over. They accelerate past consequences of that really fast. Yeah. Lexa and the City of Light felt like a good example of a place where my frustrations with that storyline 
all along the entire season were like perfectly encapsulated by the way they were presented in the finale. Lexa in this City of Light was not, I mean, if I was a big Lexa fan, I don't know that I would feel satisfied by like Helen really had to do. She like kind of popped in and swung a sword around and then delivered some exposition. Right. But in a way that was also, again, plot contradictory because yeah. because back in Polis, yeah. we have Abby stating flat out, reminding us when Clark goes under, if you die in the city of light, you are dead. Yeah. Like you're, if your mind dies, you die. And then Bellamy on the outside being like, these people are not responsible for right. the fact that they're in there. We need to not kill them. Yeah. It's very important that we do not kill yeah. these people. Yeah. So we and have then, like the first thing, like Lexa like leaps in and starts like killing people. Right. In the city of light. Right. After we've, we've just had both Abby and Bellamy who are trustworthy, you know, POV characters. So when they say these things, we're meant to believe them. That's yeah. important information. Right. And yet somehow, because it would look cool, and it looked cool, it was it beautifully really shot. Awesome. It also, was super badass, but in the way of Lexa all season, where it's like, it was super badass and also kind of inconsistent with everything else. Right, it made, it made me feel like, <laughs> and we've talked about this on the podcast before, the idea that like suddenly this season, the show has red shirts, and it's yeah, never had right, red shirts exactly. before. Yeah. Like it's always been a show where every single death matters it's the octavia killing pike thing again yeah, it's exactly. like it's like either blood must have blood is wrong or it's right and if it's wrong then the narrative should not be applauding anyone murdering anybody no matter yeah. what the reason yeah that doesn't mean it's going to become a murder-free show it means that the stakes for everyone's death should feel significant yeah and so and they should feel the same so the way we watch bellamy's hand kind of shake a little bit when he's pointing the gun at the zombie in the elevator that's about to kill murphy is the direction of the show like the camera angles and the actors choices and everything stylistically pointing us to the fact that we the audience are meant to not want any of these people to die yes and i think like the issue with lex's role in the finale is that when lexa swooped in the show forgot that yes like yes. when as soon as she arrived it was like she brought with her a different set of rules pertaining to the status of the lives of the people in the city of light. There's one set of rules that are happening for the characters over here. And then there's a different set of rules over here for Lexa. Well, she was season two Lexa. That's the yeah. problem. She was season two blood must have blood battle Lexa, who we watched her evolve out of in season three. Yeah, so she, so yeah, she was wearing yeah. her season two outfit again with her battle eye makeup and her long coat. She was dressed like Battle of Mount Weather Lexa. Yeah. She was behaving like Battle of Mount Weather Lexa. So it's like they also undid a lot of Lexa's character development. Right. And in a way that... Although there's still like the lingering question of like whether that was an actual Lexa or if it was like the flame helping her and Clark's brain making it the form of Lexa that she remembers best well, or something in the way that she gave herself the watch. Yeah, that's a compelling argument that I've heard a couple different places is sort of the idea that like the difference between the flame and Ally One is that like Ally One has like a corporeal form. Like she stands there in her red yeah. dress and she talks to you yeah. and you are talking to like the avatar of that AI is a person that you can look at and yeah. see. Yeah. And that the flame, which merges with the consciousness, speaks to you in ways that are slightly more hooked into your own consciousness and yeah, not exterior. It's, it's, more like, so the it's flame, more like enhancing your consciousness. You are talking to portions of your consciousness. Right. So the infinity symbols 
pointing Clark which direction to go towards the Citadel and Lexa appearing when Clark is weak and injured and falling down and needs somebody to sort of buck her up, that a face that she trusts appears to her. Yeah. And that that's the flame giving Clark what she needs in that moment. And that then when she's in the Citadel, in the space station, and that Becca greets her as, you know, as commander, it's not actual Becca. It's the flame taking the form that Clark will trust as Becca, who knows the most about Allie and right. this AI. And the know? reason that Clark doesn't see the other commanders is because she never knew the other commanders. Exactly. Like her brain yeah. can't produce them. So the, the flame giving her the infinity symbols and the watch and Lexa at this moment and Becca at this other moment and a lever that looks like a lever she has pulled before. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, all yeah, of these yeah. things that are planted throughout where it's like in this moment, what the flame in Clark's head is giving her to help her make the right decision is shaped by the things that are already kind of in her mind. And I actually, I really like that as an interpretation yeah. because it makes the city of light for Clark's character. It means that like, she really like actually genuinely truly was, this is a representation of her processing her grief psychologically right. Right. as she is also doing this thing to save the world yeah. you know but so she that, gets to say goodbye yeah, to lexa yeah, so like, so exactly yeah. so like so the flame helping her takes the shape of lexa perhaps partly because she associates the flame with lexa but also because like because she didn't get resolution with lexa and she didn't yeah. really get resolution like maybe even like maybe she's lexa in the form of end of season two lexa because that's the lexa that she needs yes to, yes like she needs to reconcile the lexa that she was imposed with with the lexa that betrayed her right and she needs to get closure with she needs to put those two people together to reconcile those two people you know her love for the one with the betrayal of the other yeah and she needs closure and she needs to be able to say say what she didn't say to Lexa and yeah. to, to, you know, to say goodbye to her. So like, this is kind of like Clark giving the Lexa who betrayed her the opportunity to atone for it by saving her. Right. And then it gives Clark the chance to, to tell her, you know, I love you, which right. she never got to say when Lexa was alive and get a chance to say goodbye to her. So like all of the emotional baggage that was wrapped up still in Lexa lingering sort of sense of betrayal and the lingering sense of love was sort of resolved. Yeah through that so I mean I, I like that idea and then also like I like your idea that like the the kill switch takes the form of a lever mm -hmm. because that's also Clark's mind sort of being like another thing that she needs to cope with and mm -hmm. deal with the guilt for is Mount Weather you right, know? So right. like, here's another lever it's the same lever you know and this is my chance to like save everyone right. with this lever rather right. than killing people but, with the but lever but Allie, Allie frames it to Clark and this is the same thing we talked about with the hanging of Abby Allie frames it to Clark as a choice that is different from the choice Clark is actually making. Yeah. Allie frames it to yeah. her like you are choosing to kill and Clark resists that again yes. and reminds herself that she's choosing to save people. Yes. But Allie knows Clark well enough and, and Allie's dialogue in that scene is spot on because she hits all the right touch points she yeah like in the city of light you will be relieved from the burden of having to make these choices yes you won't have to be the leader this is what she was running you from. won't that's have to be wanted, alone that's what like clark yeah. staying in polis you know like yeah. that was that meant that she was relieved of the burden of making those choices yes because, yes you know lexa was making them for her in polis people in arcadia were making them for her there she, yeah right right and so um, ali saying all the things that we know 
are the things that have been haunting her and the pressure that's on her. Like, if you stay in the city of light, like, your people won't be in any pain and you won't have to be the person standing here alone, yeah. just you and that lover. And you will live forever. You know, and I thought it was, like, so effective the way, like, during that speech with Allie, they cut back to what was happening in, in the throne room in Polis, yeah. you know? So when she said, your pain will be gone, you'll be immortal, and they show sort of, like, people fighting and dying, you won't have to live with the pain of the things that you've done. She says that at the exact moment that Abby kills her first person, that yeah. Abby shoots someone, yeah. and then it cuts over to Bellamy. I think film-wise, the way that mm. they shot that was beautiful because it showed that, like, yes, she's saying that to Clark. Clark, you won't have to live with the things that you did. Uh-huh. But also reminding us that there are other people who are right. having to live with the things that they did, or, you know, like, right. who are doing things that they will currently have to live with later. Mm. But then also I think that really suggests, and this is a very, very true to Clark as a character, Clark is also very aware that the people that she loves are also suffering through that pain. You know, so it's like Clark is deciding for everyone and she knows that. Right. You know, so it's like reminding us that there are other people who are going through this as well, but also reminding us that Clark knows that. The decision that Clark is making is whether to like take away that choice from everyone else. And she makes a counteroffer. Like she tells Allie, like, I won't pull a lever. You can give them all a choice. Like for a while I was like, oh my God, what if she really does it? What if she really doesn't shut down the city of light? But that she, in the end, like she was a lever, like we all more or less know she's going to but they did a really good job of ramping up those stakes by showing clark doing what clark does and trying to figure out if there's another way yeah can i negotiate another way yeah like, i will always like there's always another way like yeah. that thing that her mother said to her that exactly. she always like that she always, knows. yeah and i think it's really powerful too that on the two sides you know like ali versus becca you know like ali is the one who is the absolute yeah when clark tries to negotiate becca says her core command is to make life better. She still thinks she's doing that because Allie thinks there is one way. Yeah. That is the correct, I run the calculations, there is one way to do this and you do it that way. So like right. Allie like literally cannot see there's always another way. For right. Allie there is one way and like this is the kind of like, that's the attitude that yeah. she's embodying. And Becca on the other side is the one who's saying like, yes Clark, there's hope. Yes, you can figure out another way. There's always another way. There's always another possibility. Yeah. And I think like the really powerful thing there is that, and I think like thematically this kind of like brings back around some of those questions we had, you know, that weren't like directly addressed, which I'm not surprised, but Mm -hmm. like our questions about like, is there something about the human mind that cannot be subsumed by Allie. You know, like there's data that Allie of the mind that Allie downloads, but is there something else in addition that can never be sort of like digitized and downloaded? And I think the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. You know, and we see that in this moment because we have on the one hand, you know, Allie 2.0, which merges with the consciousness, which is able to sort of see multiple possibilities and to see that humanity itself represents possibility. Right. Like Allie, the computer represents single-minded certainty one way or no way right and humanity the human means means hope means possibility means permutation means transformation means change so you know i thought it was really a powerful moment when becca says yes clark there's hope there's Mm -hmm. always hope and ali says my calculations say that they're not right calculations like your calculations say that you're not but the thing that calculations can't capture is the human possibility. Right. We already got sort of lightly foreshadowed, and I would imagine we're meant to sort of contrast these moments. The Alley version of Jasper, the beginning, where he's trying to tell Monty and Raven that they should just sort of give yeah, up. Yeah, you have a 2% chance. So just give up right now, yeah. and Raven still finds a way. Right. 
Yeah. And so because she's Raven. Because you know, she's because, Raven. Like, because it's human, because she can see outside of the like paths that Yeah. So there's that, there's hope, yeah. there's creativity. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. There's human relationship. Yeah. There's all of these things that we've seen planted in in small ways and large ways all throughout this season that stump Allie when she runs up against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, there's a willingness to take a risk. Like, that's right. the thing about Allie. It's like, you know, like, she calculates the smallest risk and goes with that. And the thing she cannot understand is that human beings will not make choices in their own best interest. Right. If there is a possibility right. of something even better coming out of it. Like, yeah. that is the part that she cannot process. Yeah. Which is hope. And hope being a word that has been woven through a lot of really key character moments yeah. this season in ways that are hardwired into human relationships with each other. And the love is weakness sort of thing, where I think that what we've seen is that, I think what that really means is that love is Allie's weakness. Love is, love is the thing is that, the she, thing that she can't compute. predict. Yeah, yeah, like the thing that she can't understand. Yeah, and so, so I feel like in some ways, I think ending on that note, sets up what could potentially be a really profoundly interesting season four that repairs a lot of the sort of structural problems that were endemic in season three that came from just trying to sort of widen the scope broader and broader and yeah. broader and broader yeah. and broader yeah. and refocusing it back on this core group of people that we love who all lived even Brian even Brian God bless yeah. I'm so happy I'm so happy. Um, so it's the fact that like everybody survived, everybody got through this together, a season four that centered on those people both taking the time they need to take to emotionally process the things that have happened to mm -hmm. them and also finding sort of a way forward, whether it is some way that they end up being able to stop the thing from happening, whether it is that they find a way to identify whatever corner of Antarctica or wherever the, the heck Yukon it is. The Yukon, <laughs> yeah. Nova Scotia. Um, I do have a potential theory based on some very nerdy research I did with my friend Brittany about where in Canada nuclear power plants are located, that it is potential that Osgata could be completely, the 4% could be in Canada yeah. somewhere where like that could bring Roan back into play in a way that yeah. could be really exciting. <laughs> but the idea that whatever happens in season four would be, you know, I would really hope shaped by those human relationships and that if it turns out that Allie's calculations are incorrect and that there is a way to save everybody that it's going to be somehow through that that they find mm -hmm. it it'll be those mm -hmm. those human factors that Allie can't predict you yes. know and they do still have the flame and Clark is still a nightblood right they didn't drain her blood back out Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess like that's an open question. We don't actually know exactly what the status of Clark is. Yeah, if, if she's she can like use permanently it again. a nightblood, right, right. or because it seemed like once they stopped pumping Atari's blood into her, like that was right. Like they couldn't just like, well, that's enough, and yeah, it's gonna work. So the question so, of can she use the flame again the flame? is, it, which you know. she maybe can't, but they still have it. Like, right, and if we they don't found another know, night She pulled the kill switch, which means that like we don't actually know. Did that like erase all of the code in there, or just like did that only did delete end, the one the city of light and not the and not the commander city of light? Well, I don't think we really know. Like, it seemed like it was a kill. Well, I mean, and the programs are almost completely merged. Right, it's not like they were two separate programs. They were like she was were, ten seconds away from the one becoming yeah. the other one. So it seems yeah. like probably they killed everything. I mean, there might yeah. be a question of like killing it did that just like erase the memory but like the core 
right. code is still there so that like Raven could still could step into it. Obviously, they didn't answer any of those questions, so they can come up with whatever answer they want. Right, to. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it'd be interesting to sort of to see if there's a way to use that technology in some way to help figure out, you know, in season four what they're going to do. But they still have the computer banks in Arcadia. You yeah, know, and they yeah, still and have they still have Raven's super brain. They still have Raven's super brain. They still have all the tech in. Uh, they have the pod. They still have all the stuff in Titus's. Yeah, and and whatever magical things Amori, you know, can do yeah, with her right, exactly. Knows. So yeah. they've got like they could definitely build yeah. a supercomputer. Yeah, like Raven could build a supercomputer. Yeah, I have faith in Raven. Yes. <laughs> so, well, so we should probably wrap this up. Yep. I well, this just feels very bittersweet because this is our very last season recap meta station. I know it is. I'm really glad that you're here, so I can like look into your face right now. I know. Uh, <laughs> thank you to everyone who has listened to our podcast the second half of the season. We just like when we started. We were like, maybe 50 people by the end of the season will be interested in listening. And it's gotten to be like such a a real thing that we're still kind of overwhelmed. And we're so grateful that we have an audience and that people have been listening and enjoying. And so thank you to everyone who has listened and who has communicated with us. Like each and every little comment just means so much to us. We're so overwhelmed <laughs> like, that like yeah. 11,000 people have listened to this podcast and we got yeah. to talk to Mike Beach yeah. yesterday like and crazy. we're like, what is our life? This is bananas. So, so <laughs> yeah, we're just, we're really grateful and we are having some conversations about what our hiatus plan might be. And as soon as we have that all sorted out, we'll let you guys know. We do want to keep doing something and we have some thoughts and we're of course interested in, you know. If you guys have things that you would like to see or things that you want us to talk about, obviously you can keep sending us asks on our uh, meditation Tumblr. We'll be back at some point with more. We don't know what it's going to be. And then for sure we'll be back in whenever it is, January, February, mid-season, when season four comes back to recap the whole season instead of just half of it. But yeah, so uh, thanks so much for listening. We love you guys all a lot and we're really grateful that you have stuck with us for this crazy, (laughs) crazy journey. And we will see you soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye.